You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody. Joined by what? Joined by what might perhaps be our most requested guest. If, if me looking at um, skimming uh, social media comments now and then is any indicator, Cam Haynes, bow hunter, uh, endurance athlete, and now well, you you've always been you've been an author for a hell of a long time for a while, yeah. An author again, yeah. An, an mm-hmm. author again of a brand spanking new book, Endure. How to work hard, outlast, and keep hammering, which is available. Now it ships like just or it doesn't matter. If you or if you order right now, you won't know the difference. Right. If you if you're in fact listening to this on the day like today, May 16th, if you're listening now, you won't know the difference because it ships all pre-orders ship May 17th. Right. So you go buy, like go to I'm gonna do this very diplomatically. Watch how I do this. Go to your local indie. Bookseller, <laughs> go to Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and then there's that one outfit, that small one, the uh, real what small is it? one. Uh, Starts with an A. That's it. Yeah. Or go to Amazon, <laughs> and it will yeah. ship, and you will get Cam Haynes's new book, Endure. Um, how's that going? Was that fun working on all that project? Um, it was a new one. I've I had pretty much self-published my other two books, and so this was the first time through a publisher, like, you know, in New York. Big gloss, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's, uh, you know, you meet with the publishers, as you know, and uh, 
they make a pitch for the advance and all that. And so make a decision. And first time I've ever done that. Yeah. Was it an easy decision? Um, well, let yeah. me ask you this. Did you, here's, did you not go with the highest bidder? Uh, ask for more money from the highest bidder. <laughs> and, 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 that's, that's a tough negotiation right there. No, it's got like, it. I know you've already won the bid, but I would like a little more. Yeah. I don't know if they, I don't know. I don't know how it works. So I had a book agent, yep. but anyway, I just went with the person who mostly that I felt best about Yeah. And from the conversation. We did an interview and I just, I felt like they, they, my story was resonated most with them. Got it. Got yeah. it. That's wise decision making. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into we're gonna get all into that, but we gotta cover off on some other stuff up top per uh, per use here. So, oh, here's big piece of news. You know my whole thing about how oh, oh you know what's funny? This I got ideas stacking up on each other. My kid was out ice fishing with his buddy and got accosted by some guy because my kid had a meat eater hat on. So he's like, yeah, 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 starts accosting my kid about how his dad, how his dad wants to make it that you can hunt Yellowstone. <laughs> 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 I, know, so I was like, Jimmy's like, so what? I'm like, Jimmy, awesome. first off, you're talking to a guy who doesn't know like a joke when he hears one. And the fact that he's accosting an 11-year-old on the ice about this. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I was like, was he serious? He goes, oh, he was mad. So he realized that that was your boy. Well, he got to ask my kid, like, what's up with that hat? You know, he's, my kid's 11 years old. He's mm-hmm. like, eh. my dad. Tells him what up. And he's like, well, I got a, something I'd like to say to your dad about hunting Yellowstone. Wow. <laughs> idiots. Parents but, need to back uh, off other people's children. Oh, I, w- yeah. I would love, I was trying to grill him about who, where, how, <laughs> I don't know how to find this guy. He's in town. But here's the funny part. So I it, basically now, I basically now get to hunt Yellowstone because I drew... Mm-hmm. Montana's most coveted tag, the buffer zone tag. Oh, you bison? did? Well, oh, you don't know this? No, you didn't tell me. No, you should be that, applauding me. That little bison <laughs> triangle right right north of the park? Ba- the buffer, buffer zone, zone, the buffer buffer zone, zone wraps around the northwest oh, okay. corner. The, okay. the buffer zone, it's like this hunting restricted area. You can't do much of anything in there, but there's five tag holders. And it... And I have a bazillion, had a bazillion God, points. you got great yeah, luck, so all you, No, I don't have great luck. All the people that think <laughs> oh, right, you're burned right, in a spot, the spot, there's only five <laughs> tags, so good luck drawing anyway. If you go into that draw with no <laughs> bonus points, I think you have a 0.08% chance of yeah, drawing it. It's oh, not, no, I'm spot burning. Yeah, I'm spot burning. Exactly. Spot burning the most grizzly infested area in the state. Yeah, you can't do much in there, but they give out five elk tags for that, what wraps around that. What that what wraps around like the extreme northwest corner has nothing to do with luck, Corinne, or okay, these points right. that he's talking about. Well, no. It's all his influence mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the well, state's he, lawmakers. Yeah. He, and called wildlife the, managers. he called the right. national park superintendent and said, uh, hey. "I listen." <laughs> yeah, he said, "Listen, if you don't want me hunting in your park, you better make sure I get one of them buffer zone tags this year or next year." I don't uh, like. I didn't draw any. Like, I barely. I didn't. Like, I apply for everything everywhere. I don't have extraordinary luck. Last year, I drew nothing. Okay. I just, when I do draw something, I like to tell everybody about it. The nice it thing about a false it, impression. It, that tag for you is it, the, it's probably only like a five-minute helicopter flight from your house mm-hmm. into the Yeah, when I, when, I, when I chop her into there to hunt it. <laughs> no, I'm real excited about that. <laughs> Very excited about that. Uh, oh, here's a good thing that we need to talk about because someone... Do you believe uh, someone sent in a photo where they're claiming that 
they're, I don't know, claiming is a strong word. They're saying that they found, they shot a turkey and found their father's shotgun wad in the turkey's crop. When I first saw that picture, I thought it was going to be that they were so close to it Did when it they lot, shot that's it. That's what I thought. That it, the wad right went in, in there. Yeah. But you know what else a guy just sent me? A guy just sent me, um, and it was kind of in one ear and out the other, in one eyeball and out the other. He opened up a crop and there was a perfect copper bullet in its crop. Hmm. However, the hell it found that ate a ate a monolithic bullet. We had all kinds of turkey stuff going on. The one I shot a few days ago had a hole a hole punched through the top of its breast. I assume from flying into a branch. It wasn't like green and nasty yet, so yep. it didn't do any. You know, as I like, had to discard two breasts off a turkey one time that came in, like came into a call goblin. Um, and he had a, he had jabbed a stick, must've been trying to land. Yeah, he had, and it. I pulled a big chunk of stick out of there and it was so infected and nasty and stank so bad. I threw it, I threw the breast out. But that hole went through his breast and into his crop. There was like uh pine nuts, like in his breast. You know what I mean? They were falling out of his crop. Yeah. Oh. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And then Seth, you had a. Yeah. My, my buddy Casey Underwood shot a turkey that had a, uh, like one of those GMO air rifle pellets in the breast. Yeah. Cam's thinking he's, he knows what his next book's going to yep. be now, man. Yeah. <laughs> Shit you find in turkeys. <laughs> finding turkeys. <laughs> Listen, it's a good one. Watching my hannies, they are curious and they can eat big things in one gulp. Uh, the other day, we tore down an, an old shed and there was some mice nests underneath it. They didn't quite gulp down the adults, but I can tell you what, those uh, hairless little babies that were squirting around, those were going down like no problem. Like they, they're no, there's no chewing, you know, it just gets yeah, gulped yeah, down yeah. and then it gets ground up or whatever. So, you know, to eat a shotgun wad, why not? But did it eat that shotgun wad or is that just the guy's wad lodged into the bird? I think that had, there would have been some major trauma. Well, look at it. Yeah, but the pellets, if he was, I think what Giannis is saying, if the if the wad made it Oh, in it'd there, be full of pellets. Yeah. Because you'd have or one that, the taking hole. his whole neck off or whatever. Yeah. You want to hear, let me just, I got to run one other crazy turkey thing about you. Cam, hang with us, man. I know okay. turkeys aren't your thing, but. Yeah, he's actually vowed, he was explaining to us before we started recording. Mm-hmm. At this point, you vowed just to not shoot a turkey. Yeah, making a stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What if we found you like Steve's actually next week going on a wilderness backcountry? Yeah. Backpack. See? We're gonna, we're not we're gonna walk eight miles before you start hunting. Yeah. I mean that sounds better, but still, what I've always said, and this is like an inside joke back home, but the best thing that can happen on a turkey hunt is you'll kill a turkey. Yeah. So like. Because people like to say, well, it's kind of like elk hunting, you know, they're just, you know, call them in. And I'm like, no, because the best thing that ha- happens on an elk hunt is you kill a big bull. The best thing on a turkey hunt is still just a turkey. It's a turkey. So. It's true. <laughs> uh, I, I I also know that I know a, a number of elk hunters who are, who hate the, the uh, false yeah. equivalency of how it's like. I only know one other, Rami. Yeah. He's staunchly opposed to that. Yeah. Yeah, but listen. I've heard the grumblings. Yeah. Like, there's grumblings. I'll do sure. respect to Cam, but I think that the best thing that happens is you're going to kill a turkey. Is like, like that's that's an argument for. Yeah. yeah. It's right? great to kill turkeys. Yeah. Well, and you're not like carrying all that. 
hundreds of pounds. Plus, of what you shit. might not I be like aware that of. Part. <laughs> I like that part. But what you might not be aware of too yeah. is I'm I'm actually opposed to this. But you can score turkeys. You can't the spurs. It's like I've seen them hanging. <laughs> you gotta no, you gotta and, weigh it. So you oh, weigh really? it. Then you gotta like measure its spur and times that by something. Oh, you okay. measure its beard yeah. times that by something. What is a record score. book minimum for a turkey? Do you know? No, it's really bad. It's, it's, it's like nine. 70, 80. It's really bad. You it's can asinine. score. Yeah, people will be like, well, I've got a high scoring turkey. Yeah, well, people uh, measure them by length, total length now, too, don't they? I don't know about well, that. Well, the, the hunting public dude started that just as like, yeah, a, I think that's just kind of just like, a joke. Yeah, yeah. Oh. the long bird, they call them. All right, but tell me what you think about this. Go on. You know, I get home yesterday. I got a bunch of stuff in my truck, so I just got to take multiple trips in and out of the house. I leave the side door open after the first trip, go back to the truck. In the time that it takes me to go to the truck, grab another load of stuff, and come back in the house, four or five chickens and two turkeys have entered my kitchen through that side door. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. They're curious, man. You leave a door open and they're right in. One of the turkeys, in this sh- very short amount of time, has jumped up onto the countertop, and right where we keep our basket of eggs, is already got her beak in the eggs and is like coercing, moving, not the no. chicken egg, the two turkey eggs that are in this bucket that either she or the other hen laid, and she is working them. This happened in You're kidding seconds. Me. Wow. Somehow, mm. like, I, I don't know, man, but it makes me think that there's like some sort of sure. shit in the head going on there that we don't know about. Because how does she, she's never been in that house before. Because those little baby turkeys are like, mommy. <laughs> Dude, it could that be. Wild, it man. could be because wow. I think they're fertilized because I was telling you those wild jakes bred those hens. Oh, really? Uh-huh. The wild jakes are having sex with your turkeys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, man. Are you going to let them sit? Yeah. Things, are pretty ri- yeah, <laughs> Things are getting pretty rich. Giannis is going to be stuck in his valley with turkeys. I think that after this podcast, I'm going over to Murdoch's and buying a uh, incubator. Good you should. for you. Yeah, I think the kids yeah. are going to have a blast with it. I mean, I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah, what else are you going to do? Just turn Patch up. I think you're breaking a law, but I don't know what the law would be. Are you a criminal if a wild turkey breeds your turkey? And then you raise those turkeys? I don't know. Are you stealing wildlife? (laughs) Well, no. If if someone comes and arrests Yanni. He's going to plead ignorance and we can bleep out what he just said. Dude, this is like a real crazy gray area. Because if you go find an elk calf, you damn sure can't bring that home. No. You're 100% right. Yeah. Oh, uh, a couple corrections. You good? Yeah, that's, but if, that's if crazy. You, if you had a dog that, like a coyote, if like a coyote bred your dog and had puppies, you'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be fine, right? This is this is gonna this is gonna enter real stoner uh, stoner landscape. But you know, if you to a, a willow tree, if you do you know this? What I'm gonna yeah, say? I'm just laughing no. about your comment. <laughs> I, I you, do. I don't think you have to be a real big pot smoker to appreciate this. If you play the sound <laughs> of running water to a willow tree, the willow tree will send root tendrils in that direction. Oh, I've heard mm-hmm. this before. That's what I'm saying. Like some point, you're not gonna be able to eat anything hmm. when they find out how what's going on out there. No one's gonna want to eat anything. Yeah, if the, veg- if the vegetarians yep. find out that their food has is talking to itself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are they going to eat? A uh, couple of corrections. Um, this is bad. I got to talking about we were talking about Top Gun, <laughs> and I was saying how it made a lot of people. Uh, I was talking about Top Gun in the Air Force. Guys, like other than a beach volleyball scene, 
the actors are wearing Navy uniforms, flying Navy aircraft, or they are aboard Navy aircraft carriers throughout the entire movie. <laughs> I assume you may have some Navy vets a bit upset with you. So apologies. Listen, a bunch of us were in the room when you were saying that, and I didn't catch it either. I, if you would have asked me, I would have known that it, they weren't in the Army. If you would have said, if they're, are they in the Air Force or the Navy in that movie? I don't know if I would have been answered right. correctly. It would have been a 50-50 guess. One more correction. This is more substantive. We were talking about, when we, when we had the episode with uh, Mr. Nugent, we were talking about lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads being illegal in Ohio. And we were particularly talking about like weird, arbitrary... Ohio or Idaho? Sorry, Idaho. Idaho. Weird, arbitrary tackle, uh, archery tackle restrictions. Um, as of February, legislation HB 507 was passed. According to I- IDFG, Idaho Department of Fish and Game, beginning July 1st, 2022... So uh, coming right up, it is legal to use mechanical broadheads and lighted knocks in the taking of wildlife during any archery season. Rejoice. That was more of an update than a correction. Right. Technically correct. Yeah. I mean, at the time that we recorded, we weren't aware. Technically correct. Yeah. Yeah, It's breaking news. Mm -hmm. That's more. Yeah. I'd put it more as breaking (laughs) news. Uh, Chester caught the... uh, Pretty much the world's biggest wall I ever caught. <laughs> but before you touched on that, I need, I need to tell you, uh, uh, I forgot to mention, we, we touched on it earlier, that I am now a ordained minister. Yep. Oh, wow. So I can conduct Seth's ceremony this summer. You seem real excited about that. Very excited about it. They're sending me a, <laughs> they're actually sending me a well, wall plaque in the mail. <laughs> you going to wear like the priest uniform? Yeah, I can figure out. I'm going to dress like an old Wild West preacher. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. I can't wait. So, world's biggest walleye. Oh, lifetime best. My lifetime best. I, honestly, when I saw that picture, I didn't know they made walleyes like that. So, Cal and I were out fishing, and there was no other boats out on this local lake we were at. Not a single boat. The water was colder than you'd want, so it was like 35 degrees. Um, really? Still, yeah. pre- still pre-spawn, but uh, we were trolling. Um, I never get to do that with Seth. He doesn't like trolling. <laughs> I don't like trolling. Anyways, we were... Uh, we He's got had, like fish and ADD. Yeah, yeah I, I gotta uh, be active. I you know what you gotta do is get him that... Uh, get him a dose of that ADD medicine and see if he likes trolling more. <laughs> I just give him bush light if we're <laughs> gonna troll. Anyways, uh, so we were trolling. We had planer boards out. Um, and we were trolling slow, like 1.2 to 1.5 miles an hour. And we had marked a big pot of fish, caught about a 13-incher, which is very, very common to be expected out there. And there's a lot of carp in this area. So we were trolling along, and all of a sudden, that outside planer board, the tattle flag goes back. So it's kind of like watching a tip-up, except the flag tips down mm-hmm. rather than tipping up. And that, that planer board starts pulling towards the middle of the boat, and Cal's like, oh, Chet, you're on, you know, and I grab it. And I immediately, I'm like, I snagged a carp because it was just a lot of weight. A behemoth. Yeah, just a lot of weight. And I'm sitting there marking a waypoint and trying to slow the boat down because I did not think on the other end, I did not expect what was on the other end of that that line. And uh, 
Anyways, so I'm cranking, reeling, I get to the planer board and you disconnect the planer board from the line and then you keep reeling and it's just heavy. It's getting towards the boat. I'm expecting it to see a yellow carp come up. Yep. And the first- and everybody goes, oh, yeah, carp. Oh, carp, nasty. <laughs> um, so it gets to the surface and I see white on the tail which a walleye fisherman knows that they got a little white spot on the tail. And this isn't a little white spot. This is a big white spot. And I didn't say anything at first because it really didn't register. And the thing got to the surface. And with the refraction in the water, it looked like it was four feet long. And I'm not kidding. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it looks like like it's four feet long. Yeah. And anyways, my legs start shaking because, like, I couldn't believe it. And any walleye fisherman would know that this fish was big. It was 33 and a half inches. It was 21 inches around of girth. And Cal said he didn't even measure it in the right spot. So it could have potentially been even bigger. The Montana state record is 32 and a half inches with a 22 inch girth. This had a 21 inch girth and it was 33 and a half inches. Well, how, do you know it's not, how do you know it's not the state record? Because we didn't have a scale. And, you know, I don't really... Hum it! Chester. <laughs> <laughs> you let it go not Here knowing if it was the new state record? Yeah, I, I don't really care to have the but state the, the, record. The, the, the yeah, fame. Make it a the fortune. <laughs> yeah. Could be rich. Uh, yeah, I could just... Johnny, Johnny Morris would have been knocking at your door. Yeah, Cabela. What a replica. Just, yeah. We got a guy coming on the podcast pretty soon because he shot the biggest archery whitetail ever. What crankbait you get it on? You'd got a... Free, um, you got a few of those for free. Blue chrome flicker shad. Yeah, num- Berkeley would have been. <laughs> Berkeley would have been kicking the door down. Chester, you'd have the number, like at least the, at a minimum, the number two state record walleye. Well, I mean, we don't know that for sure, but it was it was a big fish, and I was I was ecstatic. God, just to think that I could have said like, <laughs> man, you know what, buddy of mine, state record holder, but now I can't say shit. Now I gotta be like, oh, I know a guy that you know, it's a guy. Chester. <laughs> no one cares to hear that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know Likes what? To troll. Let matter. it go. <laughs> yeah. That's mighty big of you, Chester. Yes. Yeah, it's full of eggs. Just think of how many eggs that I know, but I'm saying out. nine out of ten, nine out of ten Americans. Well, nine, nine out of ten nine, Americans would have been taking that fish home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 9.999 <laughs> out of 10 Americans. Congrats on the fish. Thank you. That's a great one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you good. like fishing as much as I like fishing, mm-hmm. it's like shooting a 400-inch bull, yeah. you know, like if you were to compare it to hunting. So it yeah. was pretty sweet. That's awesome. So uh, how, how big did that state record walleye, how, how, uh, what is its weight? It was eight uh, around, over 18 pounds, so I don't know if it's like 18.2 or 18.5, but it's around 18, a little over. And and that fish, who knows? You know, I mean, could have been, it it there, it could have been 15, it could have been 19, it could have been 17. Do you think you might want to get yourself a little scale? Seth has one. A little late now, I guess. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it. you go fishing over 30 years, and maybe catch a fish like that. Yeah. Chad was supposed to come turkey hunt with me that weekend. He ditched. Yeah, Steve gave me some 410 shells. Do you look at this as a uh, good, positive omen to the beginning of the uh, walleye tour? That's hard to say because being a fishing guide, you know, you, if you catch a, a fish on the first cast, it's bad luck. But this isn't even same day. 
same month. So I think we'll have some time to recuperate and uh, <laughs> catch another. Oh, when they make a documentary about <laughs> Seth and Chester's uh, <laughs> first year as tournament walleye fishermen, that like or like a <clears throat> or like a fictionalized version, that that'll be in that. <laughs> That fish, I think so. Yeah, because it could play either way. Yeah, right? it doesn't yeah. matter. Like yeah. you're gonna put it in there, and it'll be that it was either like a harbinger, right? It was like, yeah, it's a big part of this whole story. <laughs> yeah. So now, Cam, these guys are mind. these guys are becoming uh, tournament walleye fish. They're doing oh, their yeah. first year of the tournament tour. Nice. Yeah. Does that count, or is that? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it did. This, I wish it did. Man. So it's, when is the tournament? Uh, May. It's the weekend of like May. Th- <laughs> 13th or 14th. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. So to it's make like it count, yeah, to make it count, he would have had he would have to keep it alive <laughs> and then pass a lie detector. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. You seem pretty honest. But if on that day know. you're like, <laughs> I caught another one that looks just yeah. like the one I had on social media. <laughs> Crazy <laughs> luck. Crazy what luck. What are the chances? Yeah. Same bait. Yeah. That could have been your signature that that bait you used could have been. Your signature series. Signature series. Yeah. The Chest, Chester Floyd flicker shad. Yeah. Yep. Next time you catch a big wall, I need to have a, a talent manager with you to tell you how to <laughs> handle the situation. Could have made but it if you want to see a picture of the fish, I mean, it's an impressive ass fish. Yeah. Uh, go to uh, at musky chat, right? That's it. There's no underscores and all that weirdness. Nope. Just nope. at musky chat. Yep. You can cheer. Uh, these boys are rigging up the electronics in their new, um, their new tournament boat. Right now. Well... Yeah, we'd take a break for this, but we've been rigging the last two days. A lot of wiring. It's a sweet boat. Yeah. A lot of head lot scratching. Of, yeah. We've never done it before, and it's quite a process. A lot what, goes into it. What do you win in the tournament? We don't... Uh, if, you, we, if you win. Bragging money. rights for us, mm. but you can win money, and we're going to donate it back to, like, access. Whether it's a fish cleaning station at the local lake we're fishing on, or mm. boat ramp improvement... Or whatever's needed. Yeah. Mm. Some sort of project. Yeah. You know, around a lake. But good luck. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to turn into philanthropists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Chester. Yep. I'm going to go pack for turkey hunt. All right, so now moving now, we got to do this. is This is a uh, we're going to jump into a Sean's duck report real quick because Sean's going to hit on something of international or national news significance. The other day, I got a buddy that always sends me articles every morning I wake up. I read whatever he sends me. 32 bald eagles have succumbed to avian influenza, which is nothing compared to what it has been doing um, tens of thousands of ducks right now dying from avian influenza. And Sean's going to break that down for us. Yeah, so I got to talk to Dr. Andy Ramey. He works for the USGS. He's a research wildlife geneticist, and he works in Alaska on avian influenza. And uh, what got me all interested in the whole avian influenza outbreak was I'd got a text in January about the first confirmed case of what we would call highly pathogenic avian influenza in a blue-winged teal, I think, if I remember right. And it was like, uh, you know, that that stuff kind of happens. But when the snow geese got back to South Dakota this year, it was like, holy cow, something's changed. So figured I should probably do a duck report on it, which this wasn't the duck report we'd originally planned to do, but it's it's relevant for sure. So how how Dr. Ramey described how the 
highly pathogenic avian influenza works is typically there's avian influenza in all wild birds, but it's what they would call low path. It's, you know, not causing symptoms or sickness, any kind of actual disease. They just kind of all kind of have a pool of viruses always working through the population. Every now and then what happens is avian influenza will pour over from the wild birds into a domestic bird population. But it's not highly pathogenic when it does that. Now, once it gets into these domestic birds, that's where it can become highly pathogenic. That's where you get kind of the, you know, the news articles and headlines every so often of all these poultry and domestic birds getting killed off. Historically, what once it becomes highly pathogenic in domestic populations, it just stays in domestic populations. Until 2014, 2015, it never really worked its way back into wild birds. And during that outbreak in North America, we had our first positive North American wild bird cases, and they had 98 of them. This outbreak puts that to shame. It's not like anything we've ever had before. It is uncharted waters for sure. For example, this outbreak, we have over 40 species that have been infected. The positive tests are in the thousands, but frankly, like they, they've kind of quit testing all the reports. For example, South Dakota is right now sitting at, I think, 48 positive tests. But I, on one rocky bank on the side of a lake, counted like 43 dead birds myself. So it's hard to know. You know, wild birds are hard. You can't really quantify it near as easily because they die all over the place and they're all spread out. They're not concentrated. But it's running through the wild population and... It's pretty intense. Are they, uh, is there any way that folks can, uh, are they worried about it moving to folks the way that, you know, I mean, the same way that, that COVID-19, right, jumped from an animal host to a human host? Is that a concern? Yeah, it is. There has been times since 2003 where bird flu does jump into humans. Um, I think there's, it's around 860 human infections. And half of those were fatal. So, like, if it does jump the kind of animal-human species barrier, it can be real bad news. So they're definitely worried about it. Now, you know, typically you have to have a lot of exposure to the virus to see it jump that barrier. Um, You know, when it has jumped the barrier in the past, it's domestic, right? It's poultry. But... The USDA does have a bunch of recommendations out on how to handle wild birds and kind of how to proceed with this going through. There's two reasons for that. One being they don't want you to transfer it to other bird populations, and also they don't want you to go get sick. So, so they, are they talking about wild birds that you just find laying around dead in your yard, or they mean like wild birds that, that you get when you're out hunting? Both. Yeah, just wild birds in general. You shouldn't be eating or drinking when you're in contact with them. You shouldn't have the carcasses around other birds. Use dedicated tools for cleaning those birds and make sure they don't get near poultry or your pets. Are you supposed to put on um, like an N95 mask? I didn't see anything like I know, that. Just when you finally got to burn all your damn masks. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> or like what um, I want to do is make a big quilt of all well, those hold things. Hold on, Sean. You can't be like, 
breathing too much around them, but you can still eat them? Yeah, that's that's what I'm going to... Because they're talking about having a dedicated pair of shoes that you wear while cleaning birds. <laughs> right. And then you go in your example. kitchen and eat the bird. <laughs> then what about a dedicated, like, you know, jacket? Dedicated kitchen <laughs> yeah, right. for cooking the bird. Yeah, so like so presumably kitchen. you're cooking it out of the meat, Sean. Yes. And yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they recommend you cook it to 160 degrees, which is hard to fathom eating snow goose that's been cooked that <laughs> that long. But the shoes thing is about the the feces, right? That's where a lot of oh, the spread you. comes from is mm. fecal matter. And what's this that about what's this where the Minnesota Board of Animal Health banned exhibitions of poultry? Yeah. You can't What is an exhibition of poultry? Well, they mean like even stuff like fairs or sale barns or stuff like that. But oh, they really? placed a ban that's on a, that's sales in effect right overall. now. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of states doing it. Even up until, you know, April 15th, they were hoping that the Pacific Flyway was in the clear. But now it's like Idaho and Utah and Wyoming, everything's getting it. It's it's pretty much everywhere. It's rampant at this point. So they're trying to keep domestic populations from moving around too much and being, you know, sold and moved. Keep Giannis's turkeys from having sex with the the wild ones. Yeah, Yanni's re, Yanni's rethinking now that his, having his turkeys and chickens walking around on his kitchen counter. <laughs> so, Sean, when I you know when I said at the, when I was teeing this up, I said tens of thousands of duck deaths, and I was only saying that because of seeing pictures on social media and other places where there's like pictures of shorelines. Mm-hmm. Covered in dead ducks, but my number was prob like my number's probably exaggerated, right? Like that's probably not what I'm what I was saying. Well, I don't know because they, they, you just can't really get a tab on how many wild birds are dying from it. You know, I personally have seen hundreds of dead birds um, scattered around our local lakes here. You know, they had a lake in Illinois that had 200-some dead birds on okay. it. I mean, right. there's, so there's a lot of dead birds out there it. that no one's counted up. Right. Exactly. You know, they just, they don't have the personnel to go test and sample all these birds. And then when you get, when there is an avian influenza outbreak, how long does it, how long does it play out? Do you believe that this will still be a conversation people are having next, you know, when duck seasons start start back up next October? Or, or will it have run its course by then? Yeah, I don't know. The 2014-2015 outbreak was seven months. Um, you know, we're three months into this one, but really it didn't get going till till March. So, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know. Definitely the spring migration was kind of how this spread so quickly because it timed out perfect where right as it entered the North American population was right as the spring migration was starting. Mm. So it's perfect storm of timing versus the 2014, 2015 outbreak was over the winter. So it was got a little... you. So spring migration, just meaning that there's a lot of birds on the move, carrying mm-hmm. it and passing it along to other populations of birds. Yes. Yep. Hey, Sean, is there anything that you can, you know, observe uh, behaviorally or in physical appearance to uh, tell whether uh, a bird's got influenza? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. One of the symptoms I've seen a lot 
um, around here is like a bobbing head. Hmm. They'll kind of be sitting there and just almost like someone nodding off on a warm day. They're just, their head is sitting there flopping side to side, hmm. or they'll be flapping their wings real goofy and slow. Definitely seen a lot of them just not scared of people. They just sit there right in front of you and don't don't move. As far as, you know, anytime you see that or dead birds in general, the one thing that Dr. Ramey had said is like, please report it. Whether it's to, if you're on private land, like to the person that owns or manages the land, if you're on public, to whatever agency it would be. Because most places have a protocol for how they're supposed to handle that, whether it's, you know, through the USDA or Fish and Wildlife Service, whatever it may be. Um, And the other thing is they're now recommending take down bird feeders, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. (laughs) Talking to but, everybody on my block. Dude, it's a war on bird feeders <laughs> all the time, man. Uh, <laughs> do you think, Sean, do, is there anybody guessing that this could have population level impacts on waterfowl species, or is it too early to say? Yeah, they're hoping not. It's too early to say, but they definitely are paying more attention to it now than they've ever had to before. You know, before it was a purely domestic poultry problem, and now you're really seeing easy to observe wild bird impacts so they're they're worried but not to the point of maybe like you would be with cwd got you all right man we'll keep us posted yeah what's your next duck report on i think i'll now finally get to the the gps tracking one the odometer one oh like how many miles a duck puts on Mm mm-hmm yep all right man this is kind of a now you got me all worried about ducks. <laughs> Real well, I don't think uh, I don't think wild turkeys jumping jumping in and hanging out with Giannis's pet turkeys than walking around in the kitchen is probably not ideal. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <sighs> so, Sean, are you recommending that I just take out the whole flock, domestic and wild, at this point? Better get some of those special <laughs> shoes. Well, too. you definitely need to not don't whatever you do, don't exhibit them. Yeah, don't don't take them to the fair. No exhibitions. Yeah. All right, thanks, man. Yep. Yep, take it easy. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith who over recent months I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, 
they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX Off-Road Map and Navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, so you ready, Cam? Yep. You don't want to talk about turkeys? Uh, no. Whatever. Tell uh, tell everybody about tell everybody about Endure, man. Like what what led to what led to it? Was people saying like, "Yo, I'd write a book someday." Uh, not real. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, Jim Shockey has a um, person he's worked with, Greg Guschow, and he knew this book agent. I I'm pretty sure the or book agent that Jim and Eva had used before, and uh-huh. they'd been trying to get a hold of me, and I usually never call back anybody and. So anyway, this went on. That's just how. That's just like a little rule here. This I don't know why. I just like I'm not good with any business, and um, so finally I talked to this book agent Esther, and she was super fired up, and it's just like you. I think you should do this. This would be huge. This and that, and I was like, whatever. I mean, I don't. I'm good if I don't. Good if I do. Not that big a deal. And so then, I we said we'll see what the publishers think, and so then. Everybody's fired up, so we just did it. And uh, but did, you had to do like a you had to start collecting your thoughts. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly just, uh, it, it, the book I think in general shares, um, it doesn't matter how you come up, what your upbringing is. It, if you follow your passion, whatever that is, you can have whatever success you dream of essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, that's the story. And I thought you know, that might be useful to share to, to have other maybe impact other people. So I thought, okay, let's do it. If you had to, if you're going to take that line of thinking and look at your own, um, your own upbringing and decisions you made when you're young, do you look and are you like surprised you landed where you are? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I had no, you know, I, what I say is I never let anybody down because nobody expected anything of me. Yeah. You know, so it's not like I'm like, oh, you, you, you let me down or you had all this, uh, you know, you tell, like I tell my kids, you got so much potential. Nobody ever said I had potential to do anything, you know? So, um, I wasn't not living up to it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I figured what I did coming out of high school, tried to play football, um, wasn't really that into, I went to school on and off for a few years after high school, but then I thought, well, I'll get a job setting chokers. And it's like, back home, that's what people did. You worked in the woods and I liked being in the woods. Tell people what setting chokers is. Yeah. It's just, you know, log, working on a logging site. So guys go down there off the landing, they set chokers on the, on the logs, the, the, the followers come in, they follow the trees. And then you set a choker on it, it gets drug up to the landing and and cleaned up and then loaded Big on. ass, like half inch, three quarter inch cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just dragging it around. It's usually pretty steep country because that's timber country. And back home, that paid pretty good. I mean, it started at like 13 bucks an hour. So I'm like, God, I could, you know, 13 bucks an hour. I'm good to go. That'd be awesome. And so I thought I was going to get a job logging. And the same day I was offered the job logging for SE Logging was, um, I got this job at uh, just the city of Eugene, working summer help and just working, picking up dead animals, basically that got hit. They'd, <laughs> people would call in a, a dead dog or a, a possum or a something deer got hit and I'd go pick it up. And if I wasn't doing that, I'd weed eat along the bike path. And so I'm like, well, you know, working for the city, that's always a good, good career. So that's what I was going to do. It's safe, right? Secure. You yeah. know, it's like people like me, that was like, this is as good as it's going to get. So that was my goal. So if you had gone path the least resistance, that was where you would have wound up. Yeah, pr pretty much. Yeah, I guess so. I mean. But you like, well, I want to get into some other stuff, but this is jumping ahead a little bit. But you, for like, you've at this point established, like, well, you, you have a very established career um, as a, a bow hunter, as an endurance athlete. Like, you're like a, a well-known figure you do a lot of media projects right you have a lot of sponsorships with people but you kept a you kept a regular job for a long time i still have it you still have the regular job yeah i'm i'm a superintendent at the water and power company Hans, you still have your day job mm -hmm. i knew you did but i didn't know you still did no i'm yeah i used a what are you waiting for pto today to come here that's funny because <laughs> <laughs> I think if you type in, like I'm trying to think what the Google search would have to start with, but it will autofill. Does Cam Haynes still have a real job? Because I've done Because <laughs> people are always wondering, yeah. like if you every still time have I that hear job. that, I'm, I'm, every time I hear that, I get surprised all over again. Yeah, I do. I go to work every day. Except to, today, I use vacation. 
Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, um, hunting, like I said, I'm, I'm not good at business. Uh-huh. I don't care about business. Um, I have value, so I'm, I'm not stupid. So I take advantage of the value I have. But hunting to me means more than any business. So if I don't have to rely on it, I can just tell whoever I want, I'm not doing that. And I, you're not telling me how, I, how I'm going to hunt, what I'm, where I'm going to hunt, what I'm going to do. I'll do what I want because if it all goes away, I have this job. Yeah, but here's what one of the things that surprises me is like you do a lot of races and stuff, and these mm-hmm. are time consuming things, and the training yeah. is time consuming. Yeah, the training's hard. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I don't get much sleep. I get up um, <laughs> to train for a 200 mile race. I want to run a marathon a day. I want to be able to do that for you know weeks at a time and get in those miles. To do that, I have to get up before work. I'll try to get in at least 10 or 13 in the morning, run at lunch, and then whatever the balance is to get that 26 after work. And so I'll just, I, I work it around um, basically my life. And, you know, I still want to hang out with the family in the evening. So I do that. They go to bed. Then I'll get those miles in or I get up early before work and get those miles in. So the, the family, you know, I'm, I'm still away from work all day, but I still eat dinner and watch a little TV and then back to training what time do you get up in the morning uh depends on what my goal is i mean if some sometimes i want to do a marathon before work and if i do that that'll be like two or two or two thirty and then i have to be at work at seven damn jeez mm-hmm. yeah it's not i mean i don't Instead of calling that book Endure, they ought to call that book Tired. Yeah. <laughs> it, that, that would be a good name. But what? And another, are you worried about, I want to get back into your biography, but hold on. Are you worried, like, with all the emerging, with all the emerging research about, like, long-term effects of, like, chronic. Yeah, sleep. Chronic lack of sleep. Are you mm-hmm. getting worried? No. No, I mean, people say that about knees and about, you know, what I would say is tomorrow's not guaranteed. So, why would I be worried about if I'm 60, 70, or 80 years old when I might be dead tomorrow? Yeah. How old are you? 54. And how long have you been doing this kind of regimen? Um, I ran my first marathon when I was 32. So I so I'd, plenty of yeah, yeah, decades. I'd, yeah. Do yeah, you 20. see, or do you not even think this way? Like, do you see like that lifestyle coming to an end at some point? Or are you just going to keep going until you drop dead? I mean, I'll keep going. I, I, I feel I just did uh, a mountain marathon. I got fourth. Um, so, I mean, I'm not I'm banged up just because I'm old and have got a lot of miles, but I still feel pretty good. Right. Yeah. And, I, you, it's, and it's something you enjoy and you just want to keep doing it. It's not. I like pushing myself. I mean, I like I don't feel running for me has been a, a way for me to say uh, just to pr- just I'm putting in work. And so I feel like I can't be in the mountains every day. I can't hunt every day. I can't scout every day, but I can put in work every day. And I feel like running is like, I can go to bed knowing, okay, I did, I did, I moved the needle in the right direction today. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what running does. All right, I want to back up for a minute though. Uh, at what age did you start hunting and at what age did you start bow hunting? Um, I started hunting at 15. I killed my first deer a spike mule deer uh when i was 15 with a rifle 
and my stepdad got me into it. I didn't, I didn't, we didn't get along because he wasn't my dad. Never really liked him. Um, he's still around. Yeah, he's still around. Yeah, and he wants to cut that part out. Uh, no, 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 no. He's <laughs> that's hey. I talk about it in the book. I, I mean, I hated him. It's just uh, you like know. nothing he could have done about it because it wasn't your dad. That's pretty much. He wasn't my dad. That was, yeah, that was all it took. Yeah, and then it was you. like, then, you know, he had a hard job too. So he would come home. He was a roller operator um, on the construction, you know, and hot, miserable work. Get, comes home. Here's this kid who doesn't like him. So I'd always have it. Wasn't a great situation. So, but, and I give him a lot of credit because uh, he did take me hunting, even though I'm sure he didn't want to. It took me and my brother hunting. And that kind of started it. And I killed the spike buck. And then I, you know, hunting, I'm like, hey, I got some positive feedback that I killed a buck. And it's like, as a kid, that feels good to get some, you know. And I was like, man, this is, I like this. I like, I don't know, I like, kind of like the challenge of it. It seemed, it was hard, but I got it done. I got positive affirmation. So then that just kind of progressed. And then my buddy Roy got me, you know, I was 18, I think, and he, he was a year ahead of me in school. He was 19. He was, a, he had a trap line and all this. He was like always known in our little school as like, as like the authority on hunting because mm-hmm. he just had, was always out there trapping and doing things. And so he said, Hey, you, we played football together. Well, we're, we're best friends. And, uh, he said, you need to start bow hunting. He goes, there's way less people, way more animals. It's awesome. I'm like, oh, that sounds that sounds sweet. So I started bow hunting and then um, have never rifle hunted since. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Really? That was it. What age was that? That was 20 by the time I bought my first bow tag. So you felt like it was a thing you had to be that you're just going to, that, that's it. You're going to hunt with a bow. That was... Yeah, I just didn't have, I don't know why, I didn't have any interest in rifle. I still went with people. I still took my little brother. I have a little brother who's 10 years younger than me. Like his first three deer, I took him and he killed with the rifle. Um, you know, my kids, they've all rifle hunted. I just, it's all, I've always just been a bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I go on a lot of hunts where it's any weapon. And, uh, you know, the, the most high pressure one that most people kind of falter on if they say they're bow hunters, but then it's a sheep hunt. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, that's, it's bow or nothing. I'll, I'll eat the tag. So it's just, that's what I do. That's a good what, bit of discipline. What do you think it is about bow hunting? Cause I think that there's, you're obviously not the only one that sort of identifies that way. And mm. I think there's plenty of people that do a lot of both, uh, me included, you know, like yeah. I like to, Mix it up, and when it's rifle season, I hunt with a bow. Or mm-hmm. I hunt with a rifle. But I mean, do you have any like thoughts on like what is it about like the bow hunting that really just hooks people where they're like, yeah, I don't even have an interest to go hunt with a rifle anymore. Um, man, I don't know. I mean, I'm I've always once I started, it was just like, and then Roy was the same way who got me started. You know, he's I talk about him in the book. He died in 2015. He fell sheep hunting, and. uh we were just bow hunters. That was it. I mean, people now they'll, they'll meet me that might not know me. And it's like, so oh, you're the bow hunter. And it's like, that's all I ever wanted to be. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, how many animals have you killed with a rifle? Like before you started bow hunting? Be like three or four deer. That's it. 15 to when I started bow hunting. Huh. Cause I, I couldn't afford a, 
elk tags were 25 bucks. Yep. So a deer tag was, I think, 950 or 1050. So I could get a, a blacktail deer tag. Yep. But the, the elk tags were too much. So I just deer hunt and I killed, I killed a buck every year. Nice. Did you, what was the, what was the first bow you were shooting? A Golden Eagle Superhawk Turbo Cam. Okay. From so you, you didn't come in on recurves and stuff? No. Bowhunters Discount Warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. That was Have that. you ever thought about tipping back into traditional archery? Um, no. I mean, I messed around with them, but Roy actually, he went back, he had target panic so bad with his compound. He said, the best hunter I've ever been around, best woodman's, woodsman I've ever been around. But he had target panic so bad, he went to recurve, and he he said he didn't think it was that much of a disadvantage. He said it seemed it's easier in some ways because it's like more instinct, and you don't have to think, you don't have to level up and full draw, you know, anchor the same every time, and you know, kiss her button and all this. You just shoot, and he killed never nothing, never changed. His success stayed exactly the same. He killed no matter what, and I'd always say he could. If you said, hey, you got to use this to go kill a, you know, a carrot. He moved to Alaska about uh, in 93, I think. And I said he could go and get it done with whatever you, you told him the weapon was. Like you're holding a pen. Yeah, holding a <laughs> pen. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't matter. He's just fi- would figure out a way to get it done. Uh, he's the guy that he, he fell sheep hunting. Mm-hmm. What, was the, what were the circumstances there? Um, so... Uh, there's this mountain range. Well, right out of Wasilla, which is where he lived, his wife still lives, but uh, it, you can see Pioneer Peak. Yep. And it's, uh, so that's the, that's the tag. It's in, it's, it's a Kootenai Lake tag. And I put in for it in 2008 because as a non-resident, if you go for the late hunt, which is October 1st to the 10th, it's a terrible hunt. But sheep hunting, I've never, I'd never sheep hunted. So he, he said, hey, put in for this tag, you have 25% chance of getting as a non-resident. So I put in one time, got it. And it, he goes, it's, it's hard, it's dangerous, it's, you don't know what the weather's going to be. But My, you still have the guiding requirement, though. Yeah, he was, he got signed off, he was an assistant guide, and he could guide me. Oh, so you guys could hang out together. Yeah. I got you. So yeah. we went on that hunt in 2008, and I killed a ram. It, the, the the hunt says any sheep. And uh, so I killed this, like, probably a four-and-a-half-year-old ram. Mm-hmm. wasn't anything. It's my first sheep. So that is the same hunt he drew in two, 2015. And he'd, he'd killed nine doll sheep with his bow. So he, but he, and he killed rams up there, too. He knew he was, like I said, we've, we'd done that hunt. We've been in country like that a lot. But he was up there sheep hunting and— uh, just had done the stock. He actually missed this ram, and he was going to head back up the hill to find a camping spot, a little flat spot up maybe towards the top of the ridge, and something happened. A rock rolled, or he stepped back and uh, fell off and 700 feet and died. Oh, man. So then all of a sudden you just get a call one day. His... We change subject. Yeah. Um, no, I was in Colorado uh, deer hunting, and uh, my wife called and said, uh, 
you know, Roy had an accident, call Jill. So I said, okay. So I called Jill and I said, hey, what's up? And she just said, Roy's not coming home. He fell. Mm. Oh, man. So, yeah. Um, but so it's hard just because uh, it's it's hard every time I talk about it. But <clears throat> we came up together, high school, same, you know, 24 kids in our class. Mm-hmm. He was like making this name for himself in Alaska, just 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 a stud. And it's finally all happening. And I got you. And that was I imagine too, man, the fact that it was like that what it was like hunting that held you guys together and then to have that be the thing that ends up taking his life is just a whole different <clears throat> experience, right? Yeah. I mean, we knew what we loved to do. We always wanted the biggest adventure. We knew there's risk. Mm-hmm. Just we knew that was always it was always there. But we loved going for the biggest, most epic trips. Mm. The, the big, the brown bear, grizzly bear, doll sheep. Uh, we loved Kodiak, Prince of Wales. We killed. You know, we did big black bear there all the time. We just loved. I mean, I I hunted Alaska probably thirty times with them because we just loved that adventure. And uh, you know, we're not dumb. We know that shit happens uh, people die all the time especially up there and then i know just from i've i read a lot and uh mostly adventure and hunting but anybody who's spends a lot of times in in the mountains a lot of them die i mean in that that country a lot of them die mm-hmm. you can't have big adventure and no risk yeah so uh yeah, it was just hard because Roy was he was uh he was the only one, you know, people talk about haters and you know, you kill I kill a spike bull and people are saying, Oh, I heard he shot with the rifle, I kill a five point, oh I heard he shot with the crossbow. Roy was the only one who always believed in me. So when he died, I was like, Fuck. Sucked. Mm-hmm. Was he on your mind a lot working on this book? Yeah. Because it gets because it has a lot of personal history in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you if it wasn't for Roy. He started me bow hunting. Mm-hmm. So when you're going for like the biggest adventure or the biggest what what do you hope to like experience in that experience like what is what is that what are you reaching for in that um challenge uh just that being on the edge and you don't know you don't know what's going to happen and you know his last year we hunted together 2015 we went out and uh in this one area i went up in July, actually, you can start killing brown bear. And uh, in this area, there's so many brown bear, they're hammering the moose, and you can kill two brown bear and uh, three black bear. And so I'm like, 
Roy was working for Jonah Stewart at that time. I called Jonah and I said, can, I said, did I, do I read this right? You can kill two brown bear. He's like, yeah. I said, and three black bear. And I, he said, yeah. And I said, well, I said, can I, can I get two brown bear? What do I have to pay to get two brown bear opportunities? And so we went up there and it's like the first one stocked in and, uh, this, this boar was, it's kind of in the, it's along the water there. So he was laying down and I got in on old Creek bed, the wind was good. And I got 40 yards from him and he got up and he's looking at me and that's what we live for. <laughs> 40 yards and wh what's going to, what are you going to do? Can you make that shot? So I pulled back, you know, frontal, just pinwheeled him. Couldn't have been, it was maybe a, an inch to the right, but smoked him. That's what we live for. Do you, do you think that's something like you always had in you or did you find that through like the craving for that through hunting? Um, I don't know if you really know you have it, if you have it until you actually start getting those challenges. So like I said, I didn't have, I was hunting black-tailed deer, you know, right. I walked from my house and up into the logging country. And then, then we started, we went to the three sisters wilderness and couldn't find elk. And so I said, Hey, I think my, my uncle had been to the Eagle Cap wilderness before, which is Oregon's largest wilderness. Me and Roy were in there. And I said, I think my uncle had been there before they, they maybe hunted back in there and we couldn't find elk in the three sisters, which is cascades. And so I called them and I said, I said, uh, Hey, do you know any place to elk hunt in the Eagle Cap? And he said, uh, he said, yeah, he goes, you go to this, up this road, the Firewatch Tower, you go up, there's this tree. And I was just like, I didn't know. So we get up there and we're just like, what? This is a 30, 30 mile by 60 mile wilderness. And we're look up here and by this tree. And we're just like, so no, not a map one. But anyway, that, so then we were like, well, that got to start us, started in the wilderness. So then it's like, so we looked at the map of the wilderness. We're like, how can we get? as far away from anybody as possible. So you go to the middle of the wilderness, boom, right there. And so that's where we wanted to go. The biggest adventure in our little, I mean, that was an eight hour drive for us. We didn't have gas money. Roy had to sell a, a 30, 30, his grandpa gave him to get gas money to go over there, but we were living and that, so at that time that was it. And then it was like, well, he moved to Alaska and it's like, okay, well now what could we do? Oh, Kodiak Island. That's, that's pretty crazy. Get dropped off on Kodiak in November and hunt deer. And how much is, oh, it's, you know, deer tags, 168 bucks. And we could do this and that. So then it just progresses. And then all of a sudden you're hunting brown bear. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if it was in me. It took, took time to find out. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with, and my God have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years you get one of these knives up and open it it is sharp like something that came from outer space and here's the deal they make knives that can be sharpened you can work on these knives if you don't want to work on them you send it to them and they'll work on it they'll get it sharp 
phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. How did you... Uh, what was your initial introduction to like the endurance world? I mean, not not hunting based stuff, but like just competitive, right? Uh, I didn't really have any. I mean, I, you know, I did the, I do the ten k back home in Butte to Butte in Eugene every Fourth of July, and so then I did a half marathon out in Coburg, which is a t- town outside of Eugene, and uh, that seemed like a long, thirteen point one miles. And I was like, God, I wonder if I could do a marathon. So in 2002 or three, I ran in the, along the Columbia River there, Hood, the Dallas to Hood River, 
was the gorge marathon and i got third and i'm like well you know the eagle cap is 30 miles by 60 miles roy had moved to alaska so i was hunting by myself if i could talk somebody into going they'd go one time and they're like this sucks i'm not going back so i would be by myself but i'm like man if i could run if i can run 26 miles i can get out of the wilderness in a couple hours if i have to mm-hmm. so then that huge wilderness didn't seem that big and then that progressed up my first 50k in 2005 and i was running this 50k and i'm like god this is crazy it, you know it's 30 miles in the mountains and nobody ever does this and i see these runners coming up coming the other, i'm getting about a mile from the finish they're running back towards me and i get to the finish i'm exhausted i you know it hurt and i said i said i saw these guys these four guys running back back up the trail and they said oh yeah they're getting ready for western states and i said what what's western states and they go the western states 100 and i said 100 miles they said they go yeah they're running the course twice today to prepare and i'm like <laughs> what (laughs) so i had thought that i had done the the most craziest thing ever and they're training doing it twice so i'm like it's western states so i did the bighorn 100 my first hundred in in in, um in wyoming it's a hard hundred it took me 29 hours it's terrible the next year i did the western states the race they were preparing for and there the goal was let's get let's break 24 hours you get the silver buckle so I did it in 2241. So I got my buckle. So that was, it's kind of just like hunting is like an evolution. And then I was like, Go, uh, uh, I want to narrow in on that race yeah. for a minute. The, the one, so you spent how many hours? Which one? The, the Western? No, say so the one, if you break 24, oh, yeah, but you yeah. did Western, it more. 2241. And out of those, this might seem like a dumb question, but out of those hours, how many of those hours were you actually on the move? Like, did you stop Always. at all? No. So you never, you never stopped and took like a 20 minute power nap? No. No, I mean, you, so now I've done a 238 mile race Mm -hmm. and even in those, um, the best of the best two nights is hard. That third night people, the best of the best can go two nights and finish. Okay. Took me for that race, took me 78 hours and I slept two hours. So you want, you want to go through with no sleep. You want to always move. Your body will reset in a, you know, a, a girl who I train with, who's one of the best in the world. She, she's done this before. And I did this in that race, but you'll like doze off for a minute. Your body resets. It's almost like a control alt delete for your computer. Yep. And you wait, like I was with my brother and I was like, he was pacing me and I nodded off and I came back and I was like, I said, you know, how long was I asleep? He's like a minute. I'm like, let's go. And so it's weird. Hold on, this was while you're running? Asli- no, t- no, stopped. Okay. Stopped. And I was like, need, need to take <laughs> a break. You were saying he was pacing you, and I dozed off. So it almost sounded no, like yeah, you were no, able I'm to sleep sorry. while you're running. <laughs> no, that would be nice. That's just super powerful. <laughs> yeah, but that's got to, some version of that has to happen. Where you sort of like lose your lucidity now and then for a minute. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. if we're there, let's talk about hallucinations when you're going. I haven't. You Nothing, Cor- ever. No, Courtney does. Really, Courtney, who I train with, she does. She'll she has a T-shirt that she made with a leopard in a hammock because she was running and saw this leopard in a hammock. <laughs> Didn't really, but. Cheshire cat. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah. Anyway. So you go. So you can go that long without. But but when you, if if you take that one minute thing and your body resets, why not mm-hmm. why not capitalize on that and do a bunch of resets? Or is that not how it works? Some it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work. I mean, um, if you can get, like, if you can get an hour, say after that second night, that's a that's a lot. An hour would be a lot. Sometimes though, you you pop right back and you're like, man, it seemed like I was sleep for hours, but you weren't, you can't do that for, <laughs> you know, you're like tricking your body, but pretty soon your body's like, okay, we're yeah, done. What, you. What's your version of recovering from those races? Like, do you go home and have no. a milkshake and lay on the couch or it is takes, it like, it takes a while for your body. I mean, it takes, you're not a hundred percent. I mean, for a month, for sure. I can tell my legs are, are, but do you, are you continuing to run afterwards or do you give yourself a period of time off? Yeah. Um, I'd say a few days yeah. after 200. Yeah. Does I, that tear your feet up? Yeah. yeah like you're definitely. all bloody and. Yeah, definitely. How many um, pairs of running shoes you go through hmm. in a year? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, what shoe do you wear for one of those? Um, I'd, well, I'd been sponsored by Under Armour up until this year. So I'd been wearing Under Armour. Uh, in this last race, I wore New Balance. So, but the so what I found out is my feet don't get torn up like they used to because now the a secret is you like put Vaseline all over your toes and then put your socks on and then put your shoe on, and what what your toes rubbing together and getting dirt and grime and stuff in there that's what's causing blisters mm-hmm. for the most part yep. so that va- i like i just did that marathon which is no big deal but i mean i didn't, I didn't have one spot on my feet you know yeah. so in the last hundred i did i didn't really have anything because i did that yeah so and they gotta just be like shoe leather by now right yeah i mean i train with no socks just running shoes and my just to toughen up my feet yeah yeah wow so but your seat your feet still are pretty sensitive yeah. i mean they're taking you know, in a marathon, it's 50,000 steps. So, you know, it's, they're getting pounded. Do you have anything that's like starting to wear out as far as like knees and ankles or like? I don't put any energy into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel it takes me a little bit to get warmed up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, relatively speaking, you know, I got, I got some, I'm banged up a little bit, but I mean, I can still run. Yeah. You've managed Do you have any chronic it? pain? Yeah. Um, not pains right now, lines, but but running. What's that? I said pains in the mind. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't <laughs> You've avoided it. like major injury and surgery, never had surgery. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never. So I mean, part of it I'm sure is genetic. I, I have good good joints. Yeah. Um, I eat. You know, I don't drink. Um, haven't drank for a while. Uh, I eat pretty clean. Wild game. Um, so I, you know, other than the sleep, I do a lot of, I do the hot tub, cold tub, I do massage. So, I mean, my body's pretty good, pretty fit. You know, one thing I wonder when I look at the, the racing you do and the, the, the endurance stuff is when you, um, I guess it might be hard to answer because you've been doing it so long, but when you look at just like the nuts and bolts hunting stuff, right? Like you're mm-hmm. just hunting. Do you feel that, 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 that the endurance world translates in any kind of direct way oh 100 really so yeah. do you start thinking of distances just very differently and, and 
like getting up at a certain time to get into a certain place. You just start thinking not, of it like it's not an issue. Not distances, but but uh, challenges. I don't. I used to have the same challenge as everybody else. I like oh, I got to get all, all the way up over this ridge. When you've done two hundred miles, you're not worth a ridge is no big deal. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just like you look at things differently. Mm -hmm. So when you look at things differently, you, you internalize them differently. So if you get up over the ridge and a lot of times, you know, your nervous system can only stand so much stimulus. So you think about this ridge and climbing up, that's kind of, you're making your nervous system fire. Like, oh my God, I got to do this, you know, body language type stuff. And so by the time you get over there, maybe you work in, maybe it's the end of the day, maybe you've had, haven't had enough calories in, in your nervous system and thinking about all this challenge and you got to get back to the truck. So you're thinking about that. And then you get that opportunity. You can't be at your best. To me, I don't put any energy into getting over the ridge, worrying about getting back, nothing. So when I, my nervous system isn't getting taxed, it's all dedicated to making the perfect shot when that happens. When you say nervous system, you just mean your, your mental state. Yeah, it's like, so it's your body. Um, I, I don't, I think uh, like athletes, that's why they try to stay so calm, like before the Olympics or a fighter, you know, mm -hmm. before a fight, because just being wound up, you're not at your best because your nervous system can only operate optimally for a certain amount of time. And then you, then you get tired. So say, for example, like in an endurance race, if you don't have sunglasses on and you're squinting at the, at the end of a long run, that can make a difference wear on you. You want to have all, you want to have sunscreen, you want to have sunglasses, you want to be as comfortable and relaxed as possible because then you put more energy into whatever endeavor you're doing. Hunting is no different. So if I'm not thinking about all these distractions and challenges, all my energy and, and focus is on what I'm there to do is just kill. Yeah. So it's, I, um, I, maybe I'm not explaining it right, but I mean. No, you're explaining it perfectly well. It's yeah. like your, your mind can think your body into stress and then you have physical signs of yeah. that stress that well, take energy. Yeah. Yeah. Physical, it's like impediments, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, uh, yeah. So you're not, what I always say too, is like, if the hunt on that hunt at that time is the hardest thing you've done. There's no way you could expect to be at your best. Yeah. That can't be the hardest like thing you've done. Like if that's the hardest thing you've done. You're, it, there's no way you're going to be able, you might make the shot, you probably won't. You know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's what got me into starting to actually run more and more uh, consecutive days. Because I realized that even though I was getting in great running shape, mm -hmm. I'm like, when I go on a lot of times, it's like a one week Backcountry elk hunt, and that's mm -hmm. going to be my week of elk hunting, most likely. Like the one hunt I really want to do, just live it out of the backpack and go bow hunting. But that's seven days in a row, yeah, of going ridge after ridge after ridge mm -hmm. after ridge, and on and so I started thinking like, well, I got to train that way mm -hmm. too, and so I started like, okay, you might not do ten miles every day, but I should like at least go every day mm -hmm. so that my body is just like when it gets there, it's like, oh yeah, this isn't a big deal to just. My goal is always like, I just want to stroll the mountains comfortably for many days in a row. Yeah. You know, and if I feel like if I can get to the end of the week and be like, ah, oh, I still feel like I could go another day, then I did, I probably did well. And I didn't like, like you're saying, like 
be halfway through just like, oh my God, <laughs> another <Yeah>. ridge. <laughs> most, most people are give a good effort the first day or two. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, to get the wind right, you should go all the way around the top. They get here and they're like, that's probably good enough. The wind's kind of quartering, but it's going to go over. So you kind of take these little shortcuts because you're t- just because you're tired. Just because you're like, I don't, even if you're not admitting to yourself you're tired, you're looking for shortcuts. So to me, I'm like, I need to get all the way to the backside of the ridge and come all the way to the top. That's just how you have to do it. I don't, it's not, it doesn't even do any good to think about some other shortcut. So, and really on a long hunt, the way I look at it is by day 10, I've killed bulls on nine and, you know, way, way deep into the hunt. Um, you should be better than you were on day one because you're more in tune with the mountains. You're a little, you should be a little tougher because you're like, it's hard to be tough all the time in the regular world. We get have, you can get, take a drink whenever you want in the mountains. You're like, shit, I'm out of water. I got a whatever. So, um, but by day 10, you should be tougher. You should know the animals, you should know the terrain. You should know, you kind of have this thing patterned and then. So you have more experience in that setting of when you're hunting and you should be, so you should be better than you were on day one instead of worse. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go in and you're physically, you're still hundred percent with all those other factors, you should be better. Do you think that everybody has the capability to like, uh, you know, to improve their mental state somewhat, or do you find people that just are never going to learn to deal with, these these like stressors or like the nervous system override uh, i no i think i think people are capable of a lot more than what they think and i i think they 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 give up mentally their body doesn't need to give up so if they could you know what i've learned in in training with these people you know like courtney or these olympians is that the body and even what I've done in my training, even though I'm not at that level, but the day after day after day, what I say is your body gives what you ask of it. If you don't, if you don't ask much, it's not going to give you much. Mm-hmm. If you ask a lot, it'll give you a lot. So with that comes confidence. And I think, yeah, it, it, everybody is capable of, I'm not going to say greatness, but man, when you're talking hunting, they're capable of doing some, you're capable of getting it done on a hunt for sure. Like more than you might think you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're talking about that nervous, like you, you, you're, you're talking about the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a thing that I struggle with, uh, is I find that super high wind, cold temperatures, mm-hmm. you know, when it gets like, you know, below 10 or below zero becomes harder to concentrate. Yeah. Problems seem mm-hmm. bigger problems. Things that you wouldn't normally think of seem like a big deal. Yeah. Setting your tent up all of a sudden seems like right, yeah, because like like everything requires a bunch of thought, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I've often pictured like God, if you could just get through that, it's the thing I'm always trying to tell my kids is mm-hmm. like just in, in certain situations, and I don't put them in like stressful situations, but in situations that to them as young people yeah. they find stressful, yeah, I try to be like just calm down yeah. like don't get it like even like like a bee lands on their drink or something I'm like just don't do that 
Like you don't see. get jumpy like that. Like people don't want to be around jumpy people. Like just no. calm down. Nobody likes that. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> likes just settle. But then down. at the yeah. same time, I realized like I'll even find yeah. like cold weather, high winds. Mm-hmm. I'm breathing differently. Yeah, humans. That it's not oh, a flaw. You're thinking differently. Too. You're definitely thinking differently. Yeah, it's and not. You, a, you realize like you're clenched edge. up. Yeah, yeah. Or you're, you realize like why am why am I? It's windy, and it's cold. Why am I contracting all my muscles right now? Yeah, like this has nothing to do with wind and cold. But I, I catch myself realize you're like your jaw. My teeth are clenched, mm-hmm. and I'm actually like flexed. No, that for that, why that wears you're you muttering out. curse words to yourself. Yeah, that, that, that that's because you, you just need more fat on your body. You need to intake more <laughs> calories. I think well, the wind, the, the wind is still the wind. It came like a high deafening wind makes me like. Cl- that's the like, one I, thing Steve yeah. complains about consistently is wind he doesn't complain a lot but wind makes him complain. wind does a thing my body reacts Make, to it yeah, man. yeah. It, it, like it like it like it like i said it makes me like clench my teeth high wind <laughs> cam have you gotten to the point like for me on like a backcountry hunt like tough terrain it's always easier to like maintain that like positive outlook when there's someone else around maybe a couple other people mm-hmm. around like have you gotten to the point where you can just stay tough when you're by yourself or, or do you still find it easier with other people? No, I, I, I mean, I like to be by myself. Really? Definitely. Yeah. Because with somebody else, you have to, a lot of times you have to motivate them. You have to check oh, yeah. in with I mean, them. It adds, it's like this whole thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I don't I, I mean, I, I prefer to be by myself. Um, Roy had the same mindset. One thing about Roy is that he was always in a good mood. It didn't matter what the situation was. Always confident. And it's like, I remember when I killed that doll sheep with him, I screwed up on the shot. I actually hit the doll sheep in the ankle, like front, like cut its wrist basically. And I get back up to him and I was just like, oh my God. And he goes, uh, he goes, nice shot. I said, yeah. I, he, I said, well, he goes, well, it's bleeding. He goes, we'll get it. I said, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, it might be a week from now, but we'll get it. And uh, so it was always whatever, it, we're just going to get it done. Is whatever, it didn't matter. It was never, we weren't going to get it done. And so that that's hard to find in another person. Mm-hmm. You know, they say a, a hunting partner is harder to find than a wife. And it's like having somebody with the same mindset, if you have this mindset, well, you'll do whatever it's take. Finding somebody that, that's hard to do. Right. I went through a lot of people. And um, so- if you can have that on your own, then that's, that's simplifies. Things, yeah, yeah, definitely better. That was my one uh, takeaway that really stuck me, stuck with me from backcountry bow hunting. <clears throat> I probably read that. I think I came to Montana the first time hunt with a buddy in like 06 or 07. And I think that's right when that book came out, right? 06, yeah. So I must have had it a year or two after that. And when I came back in 09 and we were doing a fair amount of hunting like that, working out of our backpacks already. So like a lot of the stuff in the book I was like familiar mm-hmm. with, but the one thing that stuck with me was about hunting partners. Mm-hmm. I can't, and I, and I was going to bring the book, but I realized I gave it to that dude. I never oh, got it back. So I'll now say, I'm stuck I'll here. I can't on. get my book signed. Yeah. But like in there somewhere you you talk about having to like make decisions about who you're going to hunt with because some people want to have more of a good time yeah. and they're going to weigh that against like hunting hard and being successful. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about 
the guy that I was hunting with at that time and be like, you know, <laughs> he likes that first thing a lot and like likes to, and, and nothing wrong with that. If yeah. that's your style of hunting, great. Mm-hmm. But I had that drive at that time where I was like, you know, next time we hunt together, I might just take off for a few days if that's okay. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, that really, that was influential and, and it impacted me because I was like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just going to have to maybe go hunt by yourself. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, it is, like I said, getting somebody on the exact same page as you as you is difficult if you're at that, that, because it's like, for us, it didn't matter how miserable we were. It had nothing to do. The very first time we were in the Eagle Cap wilderness, I did kill a spike bull on that hunt, but it got down in Legrand, which is down off the mountain. It was eight degrees and we were up there and I had, I talked about this in that book, but I had like the sleeping bag with the pheasants on the flannel on the inside line. <laughs> and I was like, had the, these wool pants that were too big for me that I got an action surplus, you know, military supply. And I had, I was sleeping with my boots on everything. It was so cold. And I'm like, I go, I asked Roy, I said, are you having fun? And he goes, he goes, no, but if once we kill something and we get home and we get to tell everybody about this trip, we're going to have fun. (laughs) And he goes, we're not always going to have fun on a hunt. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that was like the first time, because that was my first wilderness is like, it's not always going to be fun, but what's your goal? Is your goal to be comfortable and have fun or is your goal to kill? And so then it was like, ever since then, which was, you know, early nineties, it's like comfort means nothing there to kill. That's it. Have you, uh, when was the time when you didn't live up to your own ideal, right? Like, yeah, you kind of haunted by some times and you're like, shit, man, I didn't do the thing I said people ought to do. Um, hmm. Uh, probably, let's see, it'd have to be something about, you know, discipline, uh, about, you know, I, I made, I've made a lot of mistakes coming up about, I'm a lot better now about being disciplined with the shot with my sometimes as an, as a new, not a new bow hunter, cause I've been doing it for 30 some years now. So it's been a while since I've been a new bow hunter, but you take the, the first decent shot instead of a high percentage shot. You know what I mean? It's like when, when, when I first hunted, it was going to be like, I might, I don't know if I'm going to get how many shots I'm going to get. This might be the best I get. And so it was just being disciplined and waiting, you know, it, for elk, it's pretty, I'm, I'm hardly ever, it's quartering away or broadside. I'm hardly ever forcing stuff. I just, after I say this, I just forced one on, on my Arizona hunt last year and killed a bull. But it's, it's like being disciplined when you've been thinking about this thing for maybe your whole life. It's, if it's like your tag where it's, you get, you know, five tags and you get to hunt the buffer zone. So you've been probably thinking about this for a long time. And then that, that crunch time is there being disciplined right then is very difficult. And I've let myself down. Um, so you're talking about by taking shots, not yeah. by not taking shots, no taking shots. Yeah, I'm always, sure, man. always too aggressive. Um, or I err on the too aggressive side as opposed to, to passive. So it's just forcing shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've, I'm a lot, I mean, last bull I missed, 2009 so it's like i'm pretty pretty disciplined on the shot wow that's impressive Mm -hmm. 
have missed one since then. Yeah. So that, that's really count. That's counting your shots then. Trying to. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had to have some follow-up shots and sure. more than one arrows, but yeah. Do you, uh, in, in describing your book to people, is it more, do you vi- picture it more like, um, do you picture it more like people would read it to inform how they live their life? Or do you picture people reading it just to hear like a good story about an American life, you know? Oh, no, no, it's not. It, it's hopefully to help people to to be, because, so if you look at it, it's like, you know, divorced parents. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. My stepdad was an alcoholic. Um, uh, moved out or, or lived on my own when I was 17. No expectations. So it's just like, you can, it doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. None of them, everybody has these challenges and it's just how you overcome them and how you set yourself up um, or how you look at your perspective. It, it's like, And so I hope that my story will help people like dream big, uh, you know, achieve more type. You know, I, I had that in that old backcountry book and it's true. It's just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want people to play it safe. I want people to. No, you know, this is, this is the circumstance I'm in now that doesn't mean that's going to affect where I'm going. So that's, hopefully it does that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I appreciate you guys having me here and getting this opportunity. I mean, uh, we were, were trying to work on this years ago yeah, and right. never <laughs> happened. Rihanna helped me make this happen this time. And um, so I, I, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Meat Eater, what you've built here your guys' role in all this, um, you coming up as a, from Michigan, coming out West and, and making your mark, it's, it's inspiring to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Oh, I appreciate it. And, uh, I think that doing a book is, uh, something to celebrate. So I'm glad you're here Thank for you. that rather than something else. And, uh, you did the audio version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. I heard, I heard a I heard a snippet that that you didn't like that process. Oh, it's, oh, so hard. God, I did not realize how hard that was going to be. I didn't know read. You, you know, it's another thing. So another, you go into a room and read the damn book. Yeah, I know. God, have an energy, and you know, I I didn't realize how many words I skip when I read. You know. Oh. You know, like when you're actually reading something, yeah, like, oh I'm no, shit, you're not reading like. No, and I'm <laughs> like, they said, uh, yeah, back to neck that line, whatever you missed, whatever word, and I'm like, what? I didn't, I didn't know I missed skip over words. You know what they call that? Because no. my, I have, we have a young boy who's learning to read. Mm. Those are memory words. Oh, really? And it was so funny is, uh, he always has assigned memory words. And it's funny because you'll see these words that like everybody knows, like, I don't know, and. Yeah. But to have him encounter it and have to every time. My kid does the same. I'm so like, glad that he's not alone. <laughs> he's like, drives me up the wall. And. I'm like, it's and. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't even, you don't even need to say it. Just, it's and. Yeah. Why are you rediscovering and all the time? A and D. And. Just never mind that word. <laughs> but is that is that like translating you speed reading like when you know when people read to themselves like being able to speed read yeah. and then having to verbalize right. what the brain to is yeah yeah, yeah cuz i read fast uh, to myself i read fast i can get through a book very quickly but reading it i was just like oh my god was there ever the option for someone else to do the reading no, no you can't no. do that it's never as good 
That's yeah, a crime. It's never as good. I, I I've had it done to me, I, and you know. I just it's just horrible, man. So you insisted on doing it. Yeah. Did I, they ask you to do it? Um, I just said I was going to do it. Good yeah. for you. I just said, because I just know, like with Goggins, um, he had somebody else, he did like this in between the chapters type thing, but he had somebody else read it and hearing somebody else, I would love to have heard him say what he was, yeah. you know, what he's going through. But so I, I mean, at that time, and I've listened to other books too, I think, I'm trying to think who's, who else's, but it's always better when the author does it, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Uh, but the, the finished product, you, I mean, you're selling it real strong to, to listeners, but the finished product is cool, right? I mean, you happy with it? The, the, the audio. Oh yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, it's cool because <laughs> because Joe does a forward and Goggins does the, the what's called the afterward. So that's cool. They did both, Joe read his forward? Yeah, he did on the audio. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he killed it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's so good at that stuff. But he's so you know, as you know, he's very supportive of his friends and just for him, you know. I mean, I said I go you doing the forward probably. Just on the advance, probably made me two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like, oh well, Joe Joe Rogan's gonna read the forward. They're like, oh yeah, okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you do two bucks for us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw you had a six book deal or something, right? Don't you? Don't you have to pump out some more books? Yeah, we had a big. We had a big. You know, it seems like more. Yeah, we have a lot. Like we have a lot of books lined up. Um, all those books coming along there, Brody. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, when you ask that question, look over at that. Um, we did that. We got a book. We got a, um, we got like an activity book for kids we're doing. That's Cook. like a book about raising outdoor kids. Mm-hmm. We got an activity book for Cook kids book. we're doing. We got kind of like a, we're going to, we haven't really got rolling on it, but we're going to do a sort of like um, Atlas of the American Outdoorsman. Mm. Like shit you ought to go look at. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. ass. That's going to be ass. my favorite. I can't wait. Yeah, and it's that's like everywhere. Cool. What I want to do, one part of it, I want to have everywhere every mountain man died and got like mauled that. by a bear. I like or that. Or got shot. You won't yeah. have to travel far for some of those. No. So you can go and be like, to the best of our knowledge, if you want to yeah. stand where Hugh Glass got mauled by a grizzly, I'd go stand right about here. Yeah. So, um, and then we got an outdoor cooking cookbook. Okay. Yanni's been working on that with us too. No. Mostly Brody again. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's good well, but uh no i like man i like books man i like them a lot uh so this obviously everywhere everywhere books are sold mm-hmm. and the audiobook is everywhere you go to listen on books so if you yeah. go on your phone assuming you got a hell of you get a lot of you got a who's in here's got an android if you got a iphone right you just go to the native books app it's orange looks like a book click that type in endure pop should I guess so? Yeah, I'm t- uh, trust me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know the audiobook's selling a lot more than is like the audiobook is they're pretty happy with how how good it's selling already. That's great, that's yeah. great, man. So, again, everywhere books are sold, audio version, print version, it's kind of a it's, it's a very attractive, large format print version. It's got a ton of photographs in it. Um, you know, I'd recommend this one over the audio. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's like, like I said, it's a beautifully done. Large, somewhat large format book. Uh, Endure, How to Work Hard, Outlast, and Keep Hammering by Cameron Haynes, forward by Joe Rogan. Available now. Um, if you wish you could run farther or shoot straighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This That's book is it. for you. <laughs> yeah. And, you. and uh, who of us does that not apply to? So appreciate you coming on. Oh, everybody stay tuned. Uh Cam is going to join us for a 
Cam's going to join us for a round of trivia. We got to go find trivia, our trivia man, Spencer Newharth, and uh, just check on your next the, the next thing that pops up on the download list, and you'll hear uh, Mediator Trivia, Game On, suckers. Thanks, Cameron. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.